Hey everybody, welcome to episode 42 of the Masterclass. I'm Cam, he's Dave. Yes. Oh man, I haven't got it wrong yet. <laughs> I'm so good at this. Anyways, welcome to episode 42. We are here to uh, to hang out with you, to share some hopefully uh, helpful stuff, and then to uh, let you get on with your life. So, starting off, Dave, uh, at the end of last episode, I came to a very shocking realization that I had totally dropped the ball. One of our uh, listeners and friends of the show, Nick, had shared some of the resources that he enjoys with me, and I, in what amounted to an epic brain fart, forgot to put them in the show notes and forgot about it until the very end when I made a silly noise on air. Um, (laughs) So in order to start the show off correctly, I would like to share said resources from uh, Nick. And he uh, submitted two podcasts that he listens to. Uh, The first one is Five Leadership Questions um, by Lifeway. And the description for that one, they say, is each episode co-host Barnabas Piper, which is an incredible name. Yes. uh, And Todd Adkins, less incredible name, uh, will ask five questions of different guests or about different leadership topics. The aim of the podcast is to inform and encourage Christian leaders, whether they serve in the pastorate, the business world, nonprofits, or on a volunteer basis. So it seems like a pretty practical, um, straightforward approach. Uh, on that one. And then the second one is by uh, the pastor of the church that he goes to, and it's called Leadership Laughter. And it's uh, this one is each episode blends some observational humor with valuable lessons in coaching that will help you become a stronger leader. So you can check those out. We'll have links in the show notes to both of those podcasts. And then we had another listener write in and share some of their favorite resources. And this is listener and another good friend, Justin, and he sent in two resources from Andy Stanley. Um, One was Andy Stanley's Leadership Podcast, and uh, the other is called Your Move, which I hadn't, I thought it was a book, and then I just looked it up, and it's not. (laughs) It's not a book, Dave. It's pictures and noise that move in unison. It's like a little, almost like a TV show slash video podcast type thing. It's really highly produced. I mean, it looks really nice. Um, so if you like Andy Stanley or have always wanted to know who this Andy Stanley character was, um, the, your move videos and the leadership podcast would be a great way for you to get introduced to what he and North point are doing down there in Atlanta. Yep. So thanks to Justin for sending those in. Now, Dave, yes. Before we get to the Bible, Uh I want to share a semi related story with you. Is that all right? Sure. Do I have your permission? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Earlier this evening, I was at the Christmas party for the coffee house that I work at um, occasionally. And every year we do a white elephant gift exchange, you know, because we're really original that way. And uh, this year's theme was fun. So naturally, I brought a box of laxatives. (laughs) <laughs> because Naturally. I thought, hey, you never know. Someone may need these. And if they don't, they'll feel really awkward. And no one stole them, which I would have been really quite funny, I think, because <laughs> clearly they would have been in need. But I pulled number one, which is like the worst number you can pull because you have one option unless someone steals right. the 
lovely gift you choose. And so I looked at the pile of gifts, mostly put in bags, and there was this one gift in a Victoria's Secret bag. So clearly I went for that one (laughs) because everyone wanted to know what was inside of it. And lo and behold, I pulled away the paper, and inside was one of the most marvelous things I've ever seen, Dave. It was an all-black bowling shirt with a red trim. Mm Mm-hmm. And on the back, it's in, in like perfect 50s bowling font. It says bowling for Jesus. Then there's the crown of thorns. And then there's the, you know, the, the stereotypical bowling ball and pin. And then below that, it says because he died for our pins. Mm. And you know me, <laughs> I'm a sucker for a great Bible pun. Yes. Even if it's theologically incorrect. <laughs> so I will have a photo of that work of art in the show notes, but I just thought our listeners should know that I now possess one of the cheesiest and it's a bowling shirt too, which makes it even cheesier. Yes. But one of the, the premier stupid Christian pieces of apparel ever made is now in my possession. So is this an actual team that bowled together? No, which, which, which brings it down a few pegs. Uh, Apparently this was given to my boss as a joke. Gotcha. But it has never been worn bowling yet. Yet. You it might, will be. You might have to get your name embroidered on that. Well, see, it already says Steve, so oh, I'm just okay. going to pretend my name is Steve, Steve when I go bowl in this. Gotcha. And then, you know, when when I bowl over 100, I'll do a hallelujah, glory to God, I got triple digits. <laughs> um, but I will put a photo. I just thought our listeners should know. They can be jealous of me because of my <laughs> awesome bowling shirt. And would you believe it? No one attempted to steal it. And there was 19 of us. Imagine that. And I picked it first, and they all chose other sillier things. Although I will say there was the largest whoopee cushion I've ever seen in my life. Oh, really? It was probably a good 15 inches in diameter. And so when it was fully inflated, it was like four inches deep. (laughs) It was impressive. That's funny. Now, speaking of whoopee cushions, Dave, I do believe we're reading in Matthew this week. Okay. Yeah. You've never heard a more professional segue than that, have you? No. Yeah, well. (laughs) Oh, do you want to read it? (laughs) Sure. Okay. (laughs) All right. So we'll be at uh, Matthew 12, 22 through 29. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. And he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul that the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom uh, do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. All right, so let's focus on what Jesus said before we get into some of the other stuff in this passage, Dave. Mm -hmm. One of the first things he says is that every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. What does this mean? I mean, it seems self-explanatory, but I just want to make sure they're not missing anything, you know, deep and cryptic. 
Uh, no, yeah, I don't think there's anything deep and cryptic there. So, yeah, if a kingdom's divided, it's uh, it's going to eventually fall. doesn't mean it'll fall immediately, but um, when there's division, um, and I think just, you know, being divided, there's, there's kind of a working, you know, it's not just, there's not just division, there's actually working against itself, I think is, you know, in that. And so, um, yeah, you're not going to do things that are counterproductive to what your purpose is, what your mission is. And so, um, that's what we're talking about there. Yeah. So Jesus sets a premise essentially that everyone will agree to. No one's going to go, Ooh, a house divided against itself. Yeah, that seems like a real sturdy, you know, right. foundation. He's setting a premise that everyone's going to go, well, duh, mm-hmm. right? And then he does what he does usually, and then he says, but if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? And so he's, I think he's genuinely asking the Pharisees, how will his kingdom stand? And and it doesn't seem like they have an answer, does it? No, it does not. I, I, I'm still, I'm always taken back by, um, I'm going to go back to Dallas Willard again, that, you know, if you were to, and actually be interesting for people to go do this, but, you know, if you're at work or at church or Bible study or around the dinner table or whatever, and to say who, who is one of the, who named one of the smartest people to ever live? I don't think Jesus would be quickly on people's lists. And again, I think this is an example of, you know, Jesus is very intentional about what he's saying here. And um, he doesn't, he doesn't even really have to engage the Pharisees at this point, but he makes, he chooses to, yeah, he makes a definite um, effort to do that because, um, you know, verse 23 says that all the people were amazed and that they began to say, is this the son of David? And then when the, her- the Pharisees heard it, you know, they're attributing to what's going on uh, to Satan. And he really doesn't have to, but he does. And again, he's, 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 he's making a very sound argument of uh, kingdom divide against itself is not going to stand. And then if Satan casts out Satan, um, he is divided against himself. So... Yeah, I think one of the important things uh, points that I want to make is that it it is easy, especially for someone like me who is quick to point out that other people are being stupid um, or that there's flaws in their thinking or whatever. It's easy here to jump on the Pharisees and be like, wow, you guys are a bunch of, you know, idiots. Um, but if you approach this from what they believe to be true – their answer or their response makes total sense. They're coming from the aspect or from the point of view that God has been radio silent for 400 years. The prophets are done. They're not coming back anymore. So what we have left is Holy scripture and that's it. Mm. So if someone out of nowhere comes along and starts healing people but not in the way that the Old Testament prophets, you know, did. Mm-hmm. He's he's actually laying on hands and healing people. And the, their only response is, well, this is not how God has done it in the past. This is not what scripture says. So because of the dogma that they have, that this is the only way it could ever happen, 
when Jesus comes along, their their response is, well, clearly this isn't God, so this has to be Satan. Yeah. And so while their logic may be flawed in that it's based on a false premise, you can see how they come to that conclusion because these are the people that are the cream of the crop as far as it comes to following the law. Mm-hmm. They know it backwards and forwards. They know everything about it. And so yes. when Jesus comes and shatters what is normal, their only response is, well, this must be the enemy trying to screw with us, mm-hmm. as opposed to God trying to save the day. Yeah. And so it's important to have that perspective on them, not because... I, I just think it's really easy for us in hindsight to be like, <laughs> what idiots. They, they always got it wrong, but so did the disciples, and they were with Jesus right. the whole time. Yeah. So we have no moral high ground here to judge the Pharisees. I think it's important for us to realize that they're, and this is for me is so not how I usually am about the Pharisees. I like to rip on them because it's low hanging fruit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's important and maybe we can get to this towards the end again about, you know, talking about how this works today is trying to understand where the people that we disagree with are coming from. Mm -hmm. Why are they coming to the conclusion that they've come to? What about their, worldview, their history, their knowledge, their experience has led them to this decision versus us. Um, and so I think that's the reason why Jesus presses the Pharisees. Now, I've got no proof of this. It's just an assumption that he is trying to change or alter their worldview, like trying to break them free of the dogma that has them saying the only way it's possible for you to be doing what you're doing is if Satan is doing it. Mm-hmm. And then he raises the great point. House divided against itself, it's mm-hmm. not going to stand. Why would Satan do that? Right. And they're, they've got no response. And so they've kind of, they either have to tuck tail and run and just ignore that their worldview does not provide an answer for this. Or they have to face the fact that maybe they don't have it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, it's interesting that you say that because that was, um, in this particular time, when I read this particular verse, which, uh, you know, sincerely, I've, I've read dozens of times. I mean, I, I don't know that I would say hundreds, but at least dozens of times. And for some reason, when I read this this time, the Pharisees just so stood out to me of, um, much like you were saying, it's like my, I, I normally kind of associate them with the bad guys, the, you know, even people today, which we will dig into a little bit more of, you know, not hearing the message. But I just was like, to a certain degree, I have to believe that the Pharisees were pretty sincere in what they were doing. You know, you can't be that devout about the law and keeping the law and that sort of a thing um, and not have a certain degree of, you know, authenticity to who you are. I get the hang up of you know, focusing on the law and all that kind of stuff, but they're playing by the rules. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of that way. I'm kind of a rule follower. I'm kind of a, you know, do what you're supposed to do sort of a person, whether it's just because of common courtesy, whether it's because I was raised or whatever. So, uh, don't want to get completely down that road just yet, but, um, I had the same similar sort of like, it's easy to pick on the Pharisees and I'm probably more like a Pharisee than I want to admit. 
And at the same time, I, I guess there's going to be, here's my butt um, that <laughs> is going to contradict what I was saying. Um, <laughs> that, you know, Jesus is giving a logical argument. And my, uh, I did a little bit of research when I was doing this, and I'm not going to completely go into that because it was, honestly, it was just more for me than for sharing at the podcast. But there were other people that claimed to be the Messiah before Jesus. And these Pharisees did a pretty good job of kind of putting the putting these false messiahs in their place and pointing out that they're not who they claim to be. You compare that to what they're encountering with Jesus and his arguments are holding up. His arguments have a solid, you know, not just logic to them, but they're consistent with what the law was, with what, you know, the Pharisees uh, were teaching. So, um I would have to believe to a certain extent, even though in public they may have been condemning Jesus, if they're pretty sincere and genuine in what they're believing and what they want to know, they had to leave those things and kind of go, who is this guy? And why is he so good at these arguments? Why is he so good at uh, kind of putting holes in what it is that uh, the argument that we're trying to make? So. Right. So he, he finishes after, you know, he lays the premise, he points out the flaw in their thinking. He then comes to the logical conclusion that if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out these demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What does that statement mean? That the spirit of God or the kingdom of God has come upon you? Hmm. Really the only authority that Satan is going to respond to is God. And uh, because, in, because in terms of the whole, uh, if a house is divided and Satan's not casting out Satan, uh, then who is it that's casting him out? Well, the only authority that, that Satan is going to respond to is God. And um, there's not just this... Um, Well, one, I think he's pointing to himself, and this, this is one of the things that we've seen since the, since the beginning of, of what we've been talking about, is the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's talking about himself and bringing the kingdom now, and um, not so much this, um, well, when you apply it to us today, it's not so much this, well, I've got fire insurance, I'm not going to go to hell, I'm going to experience the kingdom of heaven. And I think there's definitely this, no, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. It's present. It's not this future off thing that uh, everybody thinks it is, um, but it is here and now. And that's one of the things I think uh, that the Jews had that hang up on of the Messiah was supposed to come in their minds and be a king here and now. There was none of this dying for sin and then the kingdom would come later. Uh, they were expecting him to come in on earth and have the kingdom there. And um, they were very much about a, you know, a literal kingdom in terms of, well, um, I'm not saying this the way I want to, but so uh, the Pharisees are focused on, uh, you know, the Messiah being, um, somebody that's going to come sit on the throne and rule as a king like King David did. And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God 
is here, it's now, and it's not what you think it's going to look like. And so um, instead of embracing Jesus in this logical argument that he gives them and saying in public, maybe this guy is who he says he is, uh, they, they sort of dismiss him. And I think it's that paradigm of what they expect the kingdom to be. And Jesus is really challenging that by, um, I am the kingdom, the kingdom is present here. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're getting that or not. If there's just this sense of he's speaking in gibberish and he's not making any sense and he's crazy, or uh, did they leave? I, and I guess I'm just speculating here. Did he leave, the, did the Pharisees leave the crowds and in private when the crowds weren't in front of them, when, you know, um, I'm listening to this book called Invisible Gorilla. <laughs> Interesting. And it's about how we perceive the world. And so um, in that book, one of the things that they talk about is that we tend to follow people uh, when they show confidence, whether they're really confident or not. If you kind of put this false sort of confidence out there, uh, people will follow you. And I think the Pharisees have been very good at their false confidence and putting it out there. And so I'm, I'm speculating that uh, they didn't, you know, fall. They didn't uh, hinder in that when the crowds are present. But I wonder if when they left the crowds, if there wasn't an element amongst themselves of like going, this guy's good. Who is he? Well, I think that that to a certain degree is true because if you back up to verse 14, it says they left their last in, uh, interaction trying to plot out how to destroy him. Like, okay, this guy is good. We've got to work together to bring him down because he is systematically tearing down everything that we believe to be true. Yes. So. And the, but there was like this disconnect between, well, maybe he is who he says he is. It's no. He's good. We got to bring him down. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to work together on this one. All right. And then uh, one of the last things that he says in this passage is, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And literally two minutes ago, I think I just figured out what this means. All right. Go ahead. I think the strong man is Satan <laughs> and the house is the world and the goods are the people. And how can someone, how can God enter Satan's house and save all the people unless he first binds a strong man, which he will do once he dies on the cross. Boom. <laughs> Quiz over. But I've read that like 20 times this week and I was like, what is he talking about? And it just came to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading it, but incorrectly, but I think that's, that's my, my best shot. No, because I think there's definitely an element of, um, you know, even when Jesus is here on earth, uh, I, I believe God has handed, you know, has given Satan that, that freedom of the earth is yours. Go ahead and do what you're going to do. And now we've got the kingdom of heaven, the Messiah on the scene. And yeah, the takeover has begun. It has begun, but just simply being here is not what it, it ultimately is about. It's like you said, him dying on the cross which is him ultimately binding him and then from there being able to do what it is that he wanted to do. Yeah, so. then, then the book of Revelation kicks in. <laughs> you know, all that stuff, the yes. abyss and the the monster and all, you know, the stuff that we all agree on to mm -hmm. a T. All right, so that's kind of a brief overview of what Jesus said. What Jesus did, Dave, mm -hmm. we're trying to get to the intent and the action. 
either behind or with the words here. Yep. All right. So the first thing first is he healed the demon oppressed man. Like we totally skipped over that up until this point. Yep. This whole thing kicks off with then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and, he, and Jesus healed him. So the man spoke and saw. This is pretty crazy. Yeah. Have you seen anything like this, Dave? No, I've never personally seen anything like this. I saw a periscope where these people laughed over someone's ankle and it was healed. I call BS on that, frankly. Even if that was real, which I highly doubt, that would be the only thing I could compare this to, and that girl could talk and see. So I'm. we, we watched that one together on Periscope a long time ago. We did. Mm-hmm. I saw it too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't even remember. <laughs> See, because you were probably like, and that's not real. I think I do remember you showing that to me now that you say that. So, uh, anyways. Yes, I do remember seeing that. Now. You don't just, you're, I know you're just trying to make me feel good, Dave. No, I do to. remember. So, he heals this demon oppressed man. So, he, in the very first verse, which is like totally just kind of like a precursor to what we've been talking about so far, heals someone who cannot talk and cannot see two um major parts of being human right Mm -hmm. and he also exercises the demon Mm -hmm. this begs some attention Mm -hmm. because it's not just like oh he painted the wall red with red paint like anyone can do that right Mm -hmm. he in the presence of the crowd and the pharisees took a dude who was broken and twisted and not the way, um, not fully functional. And it doesn't say how long he took, but even if it took him two hours, it's still an incredible feat, right? Right. But that doesn't even get mentioned, really. Like, it's, it's, it's the impetus for the logical argument that happens next, right? Right. But I feel like instead of just being an, an, an inciting moment, it should be like, holy crap. And there are other parts of the gospel that kind of spend more time on this and we've talked about miracles in the past, so I don't know how long we need to dwell here, but I just think it would be a shame if we didn't mention that, oh yeah, Jesus can do that too. Yes. And just kind of maybe dwell on that intellectually for a few minutes. Well, and I guess that was kind of one of the things that, I don't know, this is, I I, I will just confess that as we've done the podcast and we've gone through the first 11 chapters of Matthew um, this was one of those chapters that when we got to it, it just seemed like, uh, I just have to confess, I, I just feel like I've, I've probably read over this so many times and just never contemplated how much was really going on in all of this. And so, yeah, uh, like you said, that, that Jesus drove out a, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute. The Pharisees... You're like, no. But then uh, <laughs> in verse 27, he, Jesus says, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, Beelzebul, Beelzebul I can't ever say that. Yeah. Just Beelzebul. Call him, just call him Steve. Steve. <laughs> My name is Satan. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> have we ever referenced that at all, that comedian? No. Uh, uh, Gosh, okay, I who is that. it? No, I, I know. Isn't even... it? Isn't his name Steve? It's, I feel like it's Steve something, but. Oh, there's. I'm going to have to find the video and make sure it's not totally vulgar before we link to it. But I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
it's my name is Satan or something like that. But anyway. my name is Satan. Yeah, it's like super like flamboyant. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, yeah, we'll have to see because it, it's. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, but anyway. a lot of his other stuff is like oh no, boy, yikes. no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, in fact, even even linking to him makes me kind of nervous because then you may see all the other things. That's just horrible. And then you all will know what a real sinner I am because I've watched those videos, but. <laughs> I think I know what his name is. <laughs> uh, one of those things that you do at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday night when it's 20 below and 20 below in you Minnesota, and the other Minnesota, you and the, no, last winter was cold. We had a couple of nights like that last year. We were literally in the office watching videos on YouTube instead of serving, <laughs> patrolling the streets. Yes. Serve and protect. So anyway, verse 27. Yes. Jesus. Um, and if I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So there's kind of the sense of like, why can I do it and why can't I? Yeah. And um, I don't know. It just, but the people in general are like going, oh, he casts out demons. He must be the son of David. In other words, he must be the Messiah. Uh, so there, there was just a lot of things um, as I was reading through this verse that just. I don't know. Just challenged me in my 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 paradigm of of Jesus and the Pharisees and what was going on with all this stuff. Well, and if that didn't make your head hurt, then then the next thing he does is he knows the Pharisees' thoughts, mm-hmm. which was always like right in my top three of if I could have a superpower, reading people's minds was up there. And then I realized how much that would suck. Yeah, because you would never have a quiet moment ever. It'd probably be boring because you'd be like. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew, yeah. Really? <laughs> but he knows their thoughts because he's God mm-hmm. and nothing is hidden from God. But I just, you know, sometimes I read stuff that Jesus says. And I'm like, how did he know? Oh, that's why he knew mm-hmm. because he's God. So we've got a healing and an exorcism along with mind reading. Dude's kind of got it going on. Right. I, I think it's important to point this out because... It's very, I think, easy for some people to see Jesus as just a good guy or a good teacher or whatever. um, Another prophet. And not to uh, embrace the fact that he is fully God and fully man. Mm -hmm. And and we've mentioned this before, the whole liar, lunatic, Lord, you know, there's variations. He just doesn't give you the option of. Of saying he's just a good guy. Yeah. He just, yeah, there's many, many options to go there. Um, I mean, the fact that he says only God is good, so don't call me good, even though I am God, but it just, anyways, he doesn't give you that option. And he purposely so, because he knows that most people will take that option because it means you don't have to change. You can just say, oh, I'm a good guy. And you can keep on being the same person that you are. Mm-hmm. And his whole point of coming was to totally disrupt how we live life and to change it forever. Mm -hmm. God is, Jesus was to the world as the iPhone was to the cell phone industry. Dave changed everything. (laughs) He even brought touch screens. That was a really bad analogy. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a week. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Yeah. You're laughing because you're mocking me now. Yeah. I'm laughing at you, not with you. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) sorry. Just kidding. You're not kidding. Just kidding. Oh, boy. All right. Bounce back, Cam. Bounce back. (laughs) 
Uh, he called the Pharisees out on the poor logic, and we've we kind of already discussed a little bit the, a little bit about this. But he does the reasoning from first principles, meaning he starts from the beginning. He's not starting like I mentioned the term dogma earlier with the Pharisees. They are starting from a knowledge base of what they've been told is true. This uh, Jesus can't be a prophet because my rabbi told me so, because God doesn't send prophets anymore, because his rabbi told him so. And the scriptures tell us this, this, and this, and anything outside of what scripture tells us can't possibly be true. Um, and so this, this closed system of thought leads to people in the situation that are unwilling to accept a third way. Whereas Jesus is stating from first principles, which means you're, you're just going back as far as you can in the process till you kind of hit rock bottom and then you build up from there. And so he says, you, you say that I cast Satan or think demons out by Satan. Well, why would Satan do that? A house can't, a house divided against itself can't stand. So therefore Satan who wants to take everybody down would never put his empire at risk by casting out the very demons he has sent to entrap the world. Mm -hmm. So he's starting from a point of logic that everybody can agree on, that rock bottom level that everyone's going to go, that's correct. And so as you build your your reasoning up from that ground level, logical step by logical step, you get to the point where the Pharisee's point of view does not compute or does not um, fit with the premise that you have built based on things that everyone agrees upon. And so that's the point when dogma and we use religion with the big R comes into contact with logic and reason and experience and what Jesus brings, which is the truth. So when, so when uh, dogma and religion for the sake of religion run into the truth, they don't mesh, right? And your option is either, as the person holding the dogma, is either to adapt and to acknowledge the truth and that maybe you were wrong or to bounce off that truth and retreat back into your corner, believing even more so in what you already believe and disregarding the truth totally. And those are really your only two options. And so I think the reason that Jesus was so um, blunt in his dealings with the Pharisees was he was trying to cause that reaction of either I'm either going to open your eyes or you're going to go hide in your cave because I'm not going to give you the choice to stand out in the open and just pretend like everything's okay. I mean, he came, he said he came to separate father from son and mother from daughter and y whoever loves their mother more than they loves, loves me. Like he, he did not come to make life simple. Right. I think, he came to change everything mm -hmm. and you can't do that by being soft-spoken. Mm -hmm. You got to call it like you see it every chance you get. Right. So I like Jesus. Yes. I think the more that, the more that I have studied him for this podcast and, and the more that I am expanding my knowledge in other areas uh, of life, um, the more that I see that he is in every way unique in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because he was a nice guy and it wasn't because he was a good teacher. It was because God sent him at the right time to cause the right effect 
on the planet that 2000 and some years later, well, let's see if he was born in year zero. I mean, he, they changed time because of him. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. They don't have a football stadium named after him, but you know, <laughs> so probably a little less than 2000 years ago. Cause theoretically he didn't start his ministry until he was 33, but we'll just say 2000. That impact is still felt today around the world in the form of the church. And I just don't think you can ignore that. I think you have to deal with it. You can't just be like, well, I don't know if God exists, and that's good enough for me. I think that's a total cop-out. I'd rather you were an atheist than an agnostic, because at least you stand for something. Or if you're an agnostic, at least be working towards something instead of just saying, well, that's what I am. It's like, well... Even being agnostic, you should really be like trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like if you have an inkling of, oh, maybe there is a God, then... Pursue that. Yeah, let's let's figure this out. So yeah, it, it just... Um, I mean, he is really challenging what the Pharisees believe. And he does it very, very well in these verses. And more than ever, I just, I just had this incredible desire to know what did the Pharisees talk about when they left this situation. I've, I've just I, never before in any other verse that I've read or any other time have I just had this strong desire to go, like, did they leave that convinced that he wasn't who he said he was? Like, were they just like, okay, we're going to prove this guy? I, you know, I it, a lot of what... This is such a tension again of just... Uh, our, our tendency to go along with the crowd and what everybody else is saying they believe. And I just, I have that sense with the Pharisees of, okay, well, you know, there's eight of us here and all the other seven guys are saying that they don't think Jesus is who he says he is. But dang, he gave a good argument and, you know, we didn't have an answer for him and just all this stuff. And it's just like... It's the emperor's new clothes paradigm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone knows he's naked, but no one is willing to say that he is because you're going to change the status quo and you don't want to look like an idiot and right. you don't want to be the first person to speak up against the mob mentality that, oh, no, everything's fine when clearly you know King's naked. This isn't good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and But that's exactly what's going on is either they know it and they're too afraid to speak up or they are so entrenched in their ways that they are unwilling to even entertain the idea that there might be a different way. Yeah. And neither spot is a good spot to be in. No. Nope. No. All right. So I think we've come to the point now where we can try and fast forward the story to today. Mm-hmm. And what 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 about this matters today? Like we've made we've made some insights about how Jesus spoke and why he did what he did and, and, you know, ideas about dogma versus, you know, um, reason from, from the ground up and, and all this stuff. But that's all rhetoric. If it doesn't really mean anything for people that are trying to find the truth today. Mm -hmm. So how does this particular passage matter to somebody who might be listening right now? If you know, I could give you a super broad question. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, I, and I guess for me, it, it, it comes down to the Pharisees. And um, I'm going to say that I, I, I'm probably more like a Pharisee than I want to acknowledge. And 
we get in this mindset of this is the way things are supposed to be because um, they were expecting the Messiah to have a literal throne and kingdom here on earth. Um, They were expecting the Messiah to unite the world and to bring peace and, you know, just all these things that just didn't match what they were. They were uh, just trying to skip all the hard stuff in between. Oh, skip all the hard stuff in between. Because that's the end, mm-hmm. right? The him sitting on the throne, the world united. It is, yeah. That's, that's the ultra- end. They weren't wrong about that. No. They just missed out on the whole in between part where life sucks. Right. And and I guess what, but the thing is, is like if I was living there with them, like I just am like, what would I have done to see the Messiah? Like I'm 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 guessing. You know, I don't know. I mean, because it didn't happen this way. Seen his credentials. Yeah, but I, I think I'd have been like going, no, you're not doing all the things that the Bible says that you're supposed to do. And this is where I guess the practical application is today: of we need to let um, God be God. We need to let Jesus be Jesus. We need to let the kingdom be present in our life today, and. There is, I just, I feel like there's this underlying sense of I've got to be right. I have to have all the answers and that I've got to believe exactly the right thing. And as I've looked at what Christians around the world in the 20th century believe and what I look at Christians have believed throughout history there's been a lot of wrong things that have been believed. And I think there's this sense of, I want to be right or believe the right things more than I want to be in relationship with God. And I think that is the practical application for us today of be in a relationship with him. And by being in a relationship with him, it comes back to the things that we've talked about time and time again. We have to read scripture. We have to pray. Uh, we have to meditate. We have to be a part of a, a church. And, you know, go back and read the Christmas story. And if you really pay attention to what it says in Luke 2 as, we, as we're getting close to Christmas here, a lot of the things that you believe about the Christmas story isn't the way it happened. The three wise men did not see Jesus in the manger. Magi from the east found Jesus in a house (laughs) when he was probably closer to being two years old. Uh, There aren't three wise men. There are magi who bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I guess we associate a gift per person. Magi were probably more like astrologers and people that read the stars and what the stars meant more than being kings or wise men. Although, uh, as a King Herod that wants to know what the heck is going on, and he consults the Magi. He has all the babies killed. And so that's, yeah, he has all the babies killed. But go back and read the Christmas story. Um, the shepherds show up that night. Oh, by the way, the innkeeper doesn't exist. <laughs> there is no innkeeper in the Bible story. And 
what we but have. That's the plot twist, Dave. <laughs> no, there's no it's room. It's probably played by Paul Giamatti. I no, mean, there is no room in the end. Yeah. <laughs> there is no room at the end, but there's no there's no innkeeper that says there's no room at the end. Um at the, the end. The neon no vacancy sign. Yeah. You know, he was born in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. We don't we don't know what exactly that looks like. Why was Jesus or why was he born in Bethlehem? Because there was a census. And uh, Joseph belonged to the to the 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 uh, Bethlehemians. Yes, but he was in the the King David was his lineage, and so I guess what my point being is, we accept so much because it's either what we've always heard, it's what somebody always told us. Yes, and. Again, I go back to one of the reasons why we do this. It's Christianity is a thinking faith. And spend some time reading the word. Look at what it really says. And not just because it's in a Christmas carol or it's on a TV story or it's, you know, what is presented in the nativity scene that you put out every year. Look at what what the Bible says, and and I know I'm kind of harping on Christmas because that's kind of what the season that we're in. But uh, that bio logo, bio logos logos uh, that we talked about earlier. There's another one that it would challenge. I bet a bunch of people out there, if you went and took a look at it, because it talks about evolution and creation coexisting, and um, it's a real thing, people. You know. Um, I hate to tell, I, I, I just, I don't believe in a literal seven day creation. I don't. Me either. And that probably upset some people to hear them, to hear me say those kinds of things. But I didn't come to that decision lightheartedly. I came to that decision because I, it I, makes sense. It makes sense. I look at the things that I've read. I've looked at, you know, just, just multiple things. And then, you know, ultimately, uh, I I get that that, that that faith has to be faith. We don't have all the answers. Yeah, and that's that's where um, I'm going to jump in because I think we're on the same same track here. Is that I think this passage in particular matters because we see Jesus engaging with the religious leaders of the time pointing out a flaw in their logic or their worldview from a premise that everyone can believe and then challenging them with what the truth leads to. And so I think that, like you said, don't take what your mom or dad told you is true about God and the Bible because they said it. Go do the reading and the study on your own and say, oh, mom and dad were right. Or, oh man, mom and dad are wrong about this and here's why. And then go talk to them and say, do you believe that this premise is true? Okay, well, if this premise is true, at least to this. And then you get to the point where you say, now, Mom and Dad, what you taught me and what we have agreed upon is true don't match. Mm-hmm. Or with your brothers or sisters or your roommates or your cousins or your coworkers. Don't just say, oh, homosexuality is wrong and leave the conversation at that because that does not help anybody. No. Right? No. If you get down to the basis of what sexuality is and is about and the purpose that it serves. And then you build a very strong base with the person you're discussing and work your way up from there. Who knows what conclusions you might come to, but that sort of deep thinking 
and not just taking what the pastor says on Sunday to be true. Because guess what? They're a human being. There are plenty of pastors that say really, really, really wrong things and a lot of people that think they're right. So my my encouragement to to myself and to Dave and, and to the listeners is that do what Jesus did. Take the the point of view that you have or that your your coworker, your friend, your your family member has. Try and get down to the root of why you or they believe what they believe. And if because so-and-so told me is the reason, then you know you've got more digging to do. And there are plenty of resources out there that can help you. I would start with the Bible. Yeah. What does the Bible say about X? Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about artificial intelligence, well, the Bible doesn't really talk about artificial intelligence, but it may have things to say about morals and ethics that you can relate to that topic. Right. So just because it's a new topic based on, you know, uh, the technology we have today, like stem cell research, a site like Biologos is probably going to have an article or five about the Christian ethical dilemma when it comes to those sorts of things, mm-hmm. because they're going to go back to what scripture says and they're going to apply the truth in scripture to a situation that scripture did not explicitly mention, like legalizing marijuana or legalizing homosexual marriage. All of these things, we can all go back to the truth and build our arguments off of the Bible in a logical way mm-hmm. to the point that we can reach a conclusion. However, Dave, you made a great point before I started talking that it does not end with human reason, right? We can reason to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And then things go beyond our comprehension, right? If we could reason ourselves to salvation, then Jesus wouldn't have never had to come, right? Mm-hmm. So human reason is a very powerful thing, but it only extends to the realm of our possible knowledge. Right. And God is light years beyond the realm of our possible knowledge, right? Yep. So we can reason to a certain extent before we have to say, okay, God, you know what? This is as smart as I am. I need to lean on you for the truth in the rest of this because only you possess that and I need mm. that and I want that and I'm and I'm and I'm going for it. But I think that we need to do the work insofar as that if you look in scripture, God when he whenever he works with someone in scripture, be it Abraham or David or Moses or any of the prophets, they have to take a step of action mm. before yeah. he shows up. Right? Noah, yeah, and sometimes Noah, they even do it wrong. Yeah, then. Noah has to build the ark. Abraham has to leave home. Moses has to go before Pharaoh. Ruth has to go before uh, Xerxes. They have to take the step of faith beyond what they are capable of, and then God shows up, right? So I think that we need to do our part as Christians to do the work and take the, the step of faith to engage the people around us with the truth. If someone says something to you and you're like, Oh no, that's not true. Take a moment to, to think, why do I think that's not true? What, what is that triggering and engage in that moment? And you never know what God might do because you decided to have that difficult conversation with a, a coworker or a family member about that topic mm-hmm. where you disagree. You never yeah. know. And just be gracious. Yep. We don't know everything. No, nope, not at all. Um, and you know, I guess one of the the examples for me is I keep being reminded of of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived in Germany when when Hitler came to power, 
and, um, you know, did his thing in terms of um, seeking God, uh, seeking a Christian community, pointing others towards God, and was a pacifist. I mean, he did not, you know, he kind of believed that uh, God would take care of Hitler and all that kind of stuff. And as as time went by, um, he became convicted that he actually had to partake in a plot to get rid of Hitler, to kill him. And those plots failed. Um, I blame and, Tom Cruise. <laughs> and in the moments when those things were going on, um, you know, I'm sure he probably wondered if he was doing the right thing and, you know, is it worth it and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, hindsight being 2020, he was on the right side. He was, he was correct in what he was doing. And I think that's because, uh, he surrendered to God. He didn't get hung up on, um, this is what my parents taught me. This is what I've learned from the church. This is what, you know, this is what Carl Barth says. This is what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's, this is what I feel like God is telling me in my relationship with him that I'm supposed to do. And he was obedient to that. And, uh, that is just to me, uh, I, I don't even, I can't even comprehend being in that situation of deciding that, uh, I'm going to kill a world leader, uh, or partake in a plan to kill a world leader. And as yeah, strange as, on that one. and as strange as that may sound, I believe that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was being obedient to what God was calling him to do in that moment, which was compl- was really a very extreme from who he was and how he grew up and where he was in his faith compared to ultimately what it felt like God. And he died for that. I mean, he was, he, uh, he was hanged. Uh, was for it his, nine days before the world? Four days? Before? It was a very, very short time before the Allies liberated the camp. It was August, or August, it was April <laughs> of uh, 1945. And I can't remember if it's like April 9th or April 5th, somewhere, first week of April there. So anyway, but that was just what was coming to my mind when we were talking about this, being obedient to what God is telling you to do. And I... I think sometimes there is this element of um, we're going to disagree with people that we respect and that's and, okay. And people that we live with and people that we love, but yeah, it's ultimately, I think this is kind of where it comes down to what you were talking about earlier of he's going to be divisive. It's not about us getting along with our parents. It's not about us. And I think we should honor our parents. It's not us about us getting along with our coworkers or family members, whoever it may be. It's about being obedient to him and hearing what he is telling us uh, individually. And well, and I think um, I think perhaps we should wrap it up here soon. But um, I think one of the things that when when God said the world will know Christians by their love. I think one of the practical ways they would know that is that we should know how to live respectfully with people that we disagree with and that disagree with us. Yeah. I think that we live in a world now that is very hostile to, um, counter views mm-hmm. or disagreement in that. Like if we disagree, we can't be friends. I E C Congress for the yeah, last four it's... years. But as Christians, one of the things that we are to accomplish is to show the world by love that we can disagree with somebody fundamentally about the existence of God, yet still live a good life with those people. Mm-hmm. That I think that is something that we are called to do, is to show the love of God to people, 
in the fact that we still respect them, we still value them as humans, and we value them as contributing to our culture, even though we disagree on something so fundamental as the existence of God. That, to me, is the sign of someone who gets it. Yeah. Do we want them to know Jesus? Absolutely. Are we going to talk to them about Jesus? Yes. Are we going to model the life that Jesus caused to live? Hopefully. But it's not about, we're not going to do that just for the people that agree with us. No. Because that's, that's stupid, right? Oh man, I'm out of breath. <laughs> I got to well, start, we got to start do we, doing this while we walk on treadmills, man. I'm getting fat. <laughs> got to get my cardio uh, in. I am too. It's the winter time, right? I'm just preparing to hibernate. <laughs> Well, that's episode 42, guys and ladies. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it's just, we just think it's super cool that people listen to us ramble and hopefully make, you know, maybe like one and a half good points. Um, But thank you to Justin and Nick for uh, sharing some of their favorite resources with us. If you would like to share some of your resources, and we mean books, uh, podcasts, magazines, radio shows, movies, uh, curriculums, your favorite book of the Bible that you just really enjoy. What we're simply trying to do here is just help our listeners help each other by providing helpful resources for following Christ on a daily basis. And and Dave and I don't know all of them, and you guys know more of them than we do because there's more of you than there is of us. And so uh, if you want to maybe reach out and help out a fellow listener to maybe a resource they are not aware of, we'll be the middlemen. You send it to us and we'll tell everybody else about it. So you can do that on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is at masterclass FM, or you can email us at masterclass FM at gmail.com. And then if you want to yell at Dave on Twitter, he's at 10.8HBO, where 8 is the only numeral. And if you want to yell at me, um, hopefully a little more nicely than you yell at Dave, uh, you can get me at Cam Brennan. And for the show notes, which I think for this episode will have quite a few good links, um, you can find those at masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 42. Yes. Dave, any parting thoughts, sir? Uh, nope. Just Merry Christmas. God bless. Yes. If you listen to this in the next, (laughs) well, let's see, we'll release it on Wednesday. So you'll have two days before Christmas. Yeah. If not, happy new year. (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you who are really late, happy Groundhog Day. Or just happy whatever day, (laughs) whatever day you're listening to, I'm sure it ends in Y. So. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye.